From the mean streets of old Detroit, it's the IGN Digigods. Please welcome two guys who'd buy that for a dollar, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. You know, given the doldrums that uh, Detroit is in, they could uh, they could use some RoboCop action. Uh, Corey, who uh, who gave us the little uh, reference to RoboCop? That was written by Grant Johnson, but will be rewritten in about twenty-seven years. <laughs> by the way, I, yeah. I, I like the recent RoboCop. I know you didn't like it. Uh, no, because it's not really RoboCop. It's like you know, leave leave certain things alone. Some things are just precious. By the way, did you hear there's a new uh, social networking site uh, for Shriners? It's called Facebook. So anyway, uh, it's a really obscure joke, isn't it? It's not obscure. It's, it's just not even really a. You joke. were actually willing to derail the entire conversation. I was. So it's nothing to do with you or me no. or movies or. It's DVDs just I was driving Blu-rays. over here and I thought you know just the word Facebook is just a funny concept. Well, I used to say uh, I used to say that that the site never would have taken off if it was called Bookface. And that didn't go anywhere either. Yeah, you know it's funny. My my my, my mother in law. God bless her. She really tries very, very hard to be in with the, with the hip crowd and the stuff and the kids and the and the computers and all this. All this. she really tries hard, but she was never able to quite process that there's a thing called MySpace and a thing called Facebook. So whatever she so she will call it MyFace, and no one ever really knows what she's talking about. Could you could you put something out on MyFace? Could you do a thing on my face? And it, it, it just, it's, it never ends. You know what? When the last person who thinks that passes away, yeah. it'll be a sad day. Because yeah. we need people to realize <laughs> that too much of that stuff is just horrible. Mm-hmm. So you were recently just in a, uh, in a monstrously boring state. Uh, I was. I was yeah. with my uh, uh, beloved cousin. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't care where I am as long as I'm with my beloved cousin. I'm having a great time. But oh, I was good. in Santa Fe. For the second time, nice. actually. And, uh, yeah, it's as, it's as boring as S. But um, <laughs> we did go to Taos. Yes. We went on a Julia Roberts search. Because Julia mm. Roberts lives in Taos. Does she really? She does. I mean, she has, I'm sure she has seven homes. But... I would say she probably owns property in Taos. No, you know what? No, she lives in Taos. I mean, it's one of the homes that she spends a significant amount of time in. Taos. Okay. And that's, what, that's out there. All right. That's out there. Well known. All right. Uh, but Taos Fine. is nice. Taos is nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taos is good for uh, a day. Santa Fe is good for a day. So really, if you flew in on a Saturday morning and leave a Sunday night, you've pretty much got it. I don't know if they still do this, but uh, our good friend Norman, who of course, of course wrote uh, Crazy, Crazy for the Storm, right? Yeah, that's what it's still called, the movie, isn't it? Well, uh, what's, the, what's happening with that? What's happening with that is um, the movie is currently on a very, very slow road to China. Yeah, it's, uh, right. Sean Penn is attached to star and direct along with Josh Brolin. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are hoping and praying that it actually happens. All right. Through Warner Brothers. Now, you know, it's, what's interesting about that movie, as we derail the conversation even more, yeah. is that uh, you know, Warner Brothers is not really into $30 million movies like this. I know. They, so the fact that they want to make the film at all is kind is, of a miracle. It's a bit remarkable. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they, they, they see awards in it. Well, anyway, backing up from that, Norman was the one who told, when we were in film school, uh, was the one who told me about the Taos Film Festival. That, uh, they, that if you win the Taos Film Festival, you get land. You don't get money. You don't get film stock. You don't get whatever, digital camera. You, you just get land. They just say, all right, here's a deed. That, that, their plot of weeds now belongs to you. And they hope that people will build homes and develop and help the area grow. That's why they have There's a lot of land there. And you know what? Taos is, Taos is, is a, big ski, it's a big ski area. Uh-huh. And, uh, but it's beautiful all year, all year mm-hmm. long. I mean, there's about a day and a half worth of stuff to do there, and that's it. And it's pretty remote. There's an Area 51 around there, too. Uh, Los Alamos is around there. Yeah. We drove by Los Alamos. Yeah, a, 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 lot, a lot of that stuff. Roswell. That's great. Anyway, so uh, I forgot what we are saying. Well, anyway. Uh, World, World Cup's out of the way. I'm sure that makes you happy. Now I'm not going to be rambling about soccer Now the anymore. Mets are, are free to lose and, uh, and you know, take up all the oxygen. And, the and LA, you, LA you were going to show me some adult swim thing. Oh, yeah. It's not... It's not podcast thing which is more of an audio well, thing go but ahead and uh, show it to me okay we can we can we can dovetail into another conversation so 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 this is an actual show mm-hmm. i'm showing way this this is a photograph this is key art from a new adult swim show that i am showing wade which of course will mean nothing 
to anybody listening because they can't see it. But it is a new show on old, an adult swim called... <laughs> Mike Tyson Mysteries. Mike Tyson Mysteries, which is an animated show. which is, is It's a total Scooby-Doo animated show ripoff. Oh, my god! And it is Mike Tyson who drives around in a van, a mystery van, with, uh, let's see, with his adopted Korean daughter. Oh, jeez. The ghost of the of the Marcus of Queensbury. Oh my gosh! And a pigeon who was once a man. <laughs> this is Mike now, Tyson mysteries. Half so, hour animated uh, uh, comedy. So, so I'm at the market the other day. Okay, so you wanted me to tell the story yes. just so you can get yes. to the Mike Tyson thing. Exactly. So I'm at the market the other day. The same market where I'm always seeing everybody. Where I saw you know Cuba Gooding Jr. and where I saw you know Kate Beckinsale and on and on and on. It's like you know Christmas Eve is usually the big day for celebrity sightings at, at this particular Gelson's. You can go on Christmas Eve. Everybody is there. It's just not, I saw Danny Boone there. I was the only person that recognized him. I talked to him in French, and so I'm there the other day, and I'm driving around, and uh, you know I got the baby in the back seat, and Christy's in doing some shopping, and I'm driving around because I'm trying to keep the baby asleep, right? Kind of got to keep her asleep, got to keep her asleep because we needed to to get that afternoon nap time in, and we were in traffic forever, and so I'm just driving around the neighborhood, and I'm pulling the parking lot, and I'm like, geez. That, look at that big buff black dude with the tattoo on his face. He looks a lot like Mike Tyson. Shiznit. That is Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. Walk, just walking in the Gelson's parking lot. Gets into his big old burgundy colored uh, Cadillac, um, ex- not excursion, what are they uh, called? Uh, Escalade? Escalade, thank you. Gets a big, big old Cadillac Escalade, burgundy color, Nevada plates, uh, with windows tinted so black. I swear I thought light was going to be sucked into them. And I'm thinking, well, that's not inconspicuous, is it? I, even the front windshield is tinted. That's probably illegal. Well, it's apparently not in Nevada. That could be. Yeah. So anyway. I wait, but the, so honestly, the side windows were so black. It, it, you, you, how it, black were they? they it, it, was, it was like, it's not even tinted. It's like he went and got a house paint and just had somebody paint the windows over. You could not see anything. I mean, here it would be completely illegal. Because he doesn't want the next woman to see that he's about to rape her. <laughs> okay. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of the podcast. Well, we are now canceled. Well, what, okay. Whatever gets us talking about Blu-rays at this point. Okay. Okay, we are not going to have a two-hour show just so you can spin no, tales we're not. about no, celebrities we're not. you've run into. That is correct. Thank you. That is absolutely correct. Um, we should, uh, gosh, we got, you know, we have an, an enormous amount of, of classic movies. We, of course, had that little week off because I had my Kidney Stone episode and then there's the World Cup and everything got out of whack. But we have an enormous amount of, um, of Start, classic go through, films. Go, do, run, say things. So why don't we do new movies Ugh. first? Let's, uh, let's jump into some new movies. Uh, Blue Ruin, out on Blu-ray. Uh, from Anchor Bay uh, via Radius, the uh, the kind of low budget but not uh, dimension wing of uh, of Weinstein, uh, is a really interesting film. This this was uh, kind of a um, a passion project between the director and the actor. Uh, the director is Jeremy Saunier, and the actor is Macon Blair. They've known each other since they were kids. And uh, they've both been just fighting to try to get a career going. And uh, finally, you know, they had families and the whole deal. And they finally just said they threw caution to the wind and they made this movie. And it has suddenly hit and it's gotten them off on all new careers. And it totally deserves to. Um, they, they basically come from the horror world. And the only stuff that's weak about this film is the horror stuff. It's a, when it gets gory, it's a little too gory. It's a little too indulgent. Apart from that, it's a really fascinating film. It's about a guy... When the film starts, he's homeless, he's, you know, living in his car, he's got a beard. Who is this guy? And he, he essentially murders the man in just a, mo- in a, in just a moment of, of kind of obsessive passion. He murders the man that uh, he believes killed his parents. It's, it's a revenge film that starts with the act of revenge. It doesn't build up to it, it builds away from it. And where it goes from there is absolutely, totally fascinating. Um, even though they, they tout that Eve Plum is in this, Eve Plum of Brady Bunch fame, she shows up so briefly near the end that if you blink, you'll, you'll miss her, and even if you don't blink, you, you probably won't recognize her. So don't let Eve Plum's involvement in this uh, in any way attract you. You're seeing this because Sonia is a hell of a director, and uh, because Macon Blair is a really good actor. And uh, I don't normally go nuts for, for low-budget films like this. I was a little lukewarm on this thing in many respects when I talked about it on the radio. But it has improved in my mind over time. And uh, watching it again on Blu-ray, I thought, you know what? 
That's a sharp little movie. I, I, I applaud them for everything they did. So that's Blue Ruin. And then uh, also Heaven is for Real is uh, a movie that stars a very, very dear friend of Mark's. And that's why he has no objectivity on this, because anything that, uh, that he's involved in, you just you can't review properly because you break into tears. You know, I haven't seen Greg in like five years. I know. But you guys are tight. You're like spiritually tight. You, you communicate psychically. So Greg Kinnear is in this movie, which is uh, based on a best-selling book that is based presumably on a true story, although I don't know the details of the story, and I'm always skeptical about you know, the based on true story thing. But apparently, little boy... He dies, has a near-death experience, and, uh, you know, a spiritual uplift ensues. And you know what? It's a solid little movie. Randall Wallace uh, uh, co-wrote and directed this. Randall Wallace, who I'm very iffy on. I, I like Braveheart in spite of him. I don't like much of anything else that Randall Wallace has had anything to do with. Uh, like We Were Soldiers, I, I just think is... Secretariat or whatever, the, the, the horse movie. Yeah, I just... Isn't I, that him? No, it just, I just, I'm not into any of his stuff. I'm just, I, he's just too obvious. He not likes enough. you, though. I'm, I've heard that. Uh, but anyway, this is not bad. This is actually uh, quite solid. It's like he takes a step back. The emotions are real. It's not preachy. It, um, it's not, uh, you know, very, very uh, evangelically, as it were. It doesn't, it doesn't sort of carry a, that faith-based stigma where you feel like this is made strictly for people who are, you know, uh, you know praising Jesus every Sunday. It, it really has a very, very mainstream uh, p- appeal to it. And uh, I think they did a great job. It made a good chunk of money. It was made for the right amount. And it's uh, rock solid. And this comes with some uh, featurettes and uh, also the, the old ultraviolet dig. So uh, it's good. Heaven is for real. Surprisingly, surprisingly warm and fuzzy. Yes, Wade? Um, oh, uh, well, hey, well, Wade, uh, I like how you talk about the good <laughs> films and I talk about sabotage. Oh, well, you uh, know, that's how it goes. Now, Sabotage was uh, directed by... I got by, some stinkers uh, here that I'm going to be covering in a moment, so you can uh, yes, you carry what? on. I got some stinkers in a moment, so you, you carry on. It's important. We, we, have, we, have, we have to spread the wealth. Yes, we do. Uh, written directed by David Iyer, who also gave us uh, Training Day and um, End of Watch. David Iyer, of course, wrote Training who, Day. Who has the tank movie coming up, by the way, Fury. And you're, you're looking forward to that. I'm already. really looking forward to that. You lo- okay, which movie are you looking forward to more based on the trailer? The Tank movie or the Angelina Jolie war thing? Oh, jeez, man. Probably the Angelina Jolie film. That, uh, looks, that looks wicked awesome. Oh, gee. Who, what are you, from Boston now? Looks wicked awesome. <laughs> anyway, uh, this has a good cast uh, in a silly, cynical, ugly, scatological, gruesome movie. It's got Schwarzenegger, Sam Worthington, who... Oh, he, is he back? Sam Worthington starred in the uh, highest grossing film of all time, and yet nobody likes him. <laughs> nobody wants to hire him. He is a charisma black hole. He really is. He, is he was momentarily going to be Mad Max, you know. I know. And I mean, he, for, a, for a moment, until apparently George Miller like actually saw him in some of his other movies and was like, okay, we're not going to do that. And he starred in a Terminator film. Yeah. For a moment, he was the guy, and and, and and Clash of Titans, and the whole thing. He I was know. like, he was the dude for a moment. Everybody thought he was the the second coming of the mega action star, and then they're you know, it's like, oh my gosh, it's Mel Gibson, and you know, all and all the rest of them revisited, and no, but then they realize he's terrible. He's not good. No, no, uh, charisma free. Didn't like him. Yeah, Terrence Howard, uh, Joe Mangianello. Yeah, uh, are in this thing, and uh, I just don't like this thing at all. This is very, it's just very brutal and violent, and it's just uh, you just want to take a shower when this thing is done. It's one of those movies where, like, you know, somebody steals ten million dollars in cash, and they uh, all, yeah, they yeah. all get uh, they all get picked off. That's yeah, fantastic. And uh, you know, Schwarzenegger, you know, look, he's uh, not governor anymore, and he's back in acting, and I guess that's fine, but. You know, I I just think that his post governor career is just going to become a bunch of crappy movies like Sabotage. What's he going to do? I don't know. Ter- Terminator. I mean, that's all he can do. That's the only thing he can do to give him any legitimacy is another Terminator film. And of course, he is. But stuff like Sabotage and the uh, the, the Last Stand, it's yeah. all just B movie crap. And so is Sabotage. Yeah. Now, um, we have a very disappointing uh, first directorial feature from uh, Wally Pfister, who is. Um, I don't know why anybody actually thought this would work. It but carry on. I, I have Nolan's, my own. Uh, uh, cinematographer. Yeah. This is Transcendence with uh, Johnny Depp. This thing was a great disappointment. I this thing just felt like it was the Lawnmower Man. Uh-huh. All over again. Uh-huh. I don't know. What, you know the, the problem when you get look, Wally Fish is very talented. But I'm saying is that why would he pick a movie like this to be the? Fr- he must have been so entranced by the possibility of the visuals that he didn't even really want care Here's about what problem. the story was. Everyone, everyone is invested in everyone else. 
the producers were like, oh my gosh, we've got Wally Pfister and Johnny Depp. We can't lose. And Wally Pfister's thinking, oh my gosh, I'm signing on to a Johnny Depp film. We can't lose. And Johnny Depp is thinking, oh wow, Wally Pfister, and, and you know, this sounds like a really cool, another cool freaky part for me to play. We can't lose. And, and nobody actually stopped to think, wait a minute, cinematographers typically make horrible directors. Editors make really good directors, but cinematographers do not make good directors. Most cinematographers that become directors do a really poor job of it. I mean, well, Barry Sonnenfeld did okay. Barry Sonnenfeld did okay, and obviously, uh, um, uh, Mel Steve, Jimmy Jack, Jimmy no, uh, uh, Walkabout, Nicholas Rogue. Nicholas Rogue, thank you. Uh, Nicholas Rogue did a really good job of it, but generally speaking, you can count up on your. I mean, look, Caleb Deschanel, amazing cinematographer as a director. Not so much. Although Haskell Wexler did do Medium Cool. Yeah, you uh, love Haskell, Medium Cool. No, I don't. You love Medium no, Cool. No, I don't. Okay. So, uh, you know, that, and Johnny Depp just laid two eggs in a row. I mean, I, I, he's, he's got a problem, this guy. I mean, he's and, a terrible judge And again, of did no one see The Lawnmower Man? That's exactly what it is. Come on. It's terrible. Anyway, no, it, it is. It's very disappointing. It's just this, uh, it's just this, one of those like, you know, Control. You have to control. You know machines, or they'll control you. Yeah. Well, wow. Yeah. We haven't seen this sixty-five thousand times. It's just this high-concept mega movie that just is just completely ridiculous. Looks great on Blu-ray. Give them that. Uh, so, it's got a bunch of spe- yes, wait. So carry on. Are you about to tell me to stop talking about a Johnny Depp film so you can talk about All Cheerleaders Die? Or yep, something? that's that's absolutely uh, where I was going to go. Don't let me stop you. Okay. Um, so All Cheerleaders Die on Blu-ray is is ridiculous. Now this is one of those films that calls itself a horror comedy. I I kind of figure I would probably need to see this in a crowded audience uh, with a crowded an audience just packed with people who will actually find this funny because I didn't. Um, I can see this being kind of a cult classic in some respect. Murderous cheerleaders, certainly nothing new. It it kind of goes for Heather's vibe a little bit. But then there's like, and it just kind of goes into like zombie ghost territory, and and it just it gets very very silly. Um, but I, you know, if if genre films and genre splicing twists and and uh, movies that kind of just try to take old genres and turn them upside down and inside out, if that's your thing, I go for it. The uh, for those who care, this is a Lucky McKee movie. Now. I have a certain degree of affection for Lucky McKee. He did this with uh, this Chris uh, Siverston guy, who I really don't know anything about. And uh, this is uh, based on uh, another film that I've never heard of. So, obviously, I'm a little bit out of the loop. But, you know, Lucky McKee, uh, he's got some chops visually. uh, But here, I think that's kind of a disappointment. And then we've got uh, Derek Huff and uh, and Boa. In Make Your Move. That's Boa, right? Not B of A, right? Uh, sure. Yeah, okay. I just want to make sure I'm not confusing, you know, these names. Anyway, uh, Derek Huff, j- amazingly, you know, given how uh, leaden and wooden and unremarkable his sister is as an actress, I was expecting him to be equally bad. And yet... He's worse. Wow. I know. Who would have, th- who would have thunk, thunk it? <laughs> who would have thought? We just said that. Um, no, the, honestly, the Huffs, I think they are fantastic dancers, but please keep them out of movies. Just please do. And it's a dance thing. Make your move. Ah, right? It's, uh, you know, it's another one of these things that just uh, tries to give uh, people who love dancing some kind. It's like it, this goes all the way back to Breakin' and Electric Boogaloo and Breakin' 2 and all that stuff. It's a, And, you know, uh, what, what, what are, the, what are the, all the... Uh, the step up, the whole step up thing. The guy, the guy wrote, a new step up. I know there is. Anyway, uh, well, this was written by one of the writers of Step Up as well. Anyway, there's no story here. There's just dancing, and it's the usual thing. Um, I don't know. You know, Boa, who's this like Korean pop star. I guess she's cute, and I guess she fits the bill, and this thing will sell well overseas. But whatever. Not my kind of movie. Um. Let's see, Dom Hemingway. Mark, did, do you have any opinion about Dom Hemingway? Uh, should I? Well, did you see it in the theaters? Uh, I did not. Oh, you did not? Okay, I thought you did. I thought you, didn't you tell me? Okay, never mind. I told you so, nothing. I told you nothing. Uh, Jude Law, Dom Hemingway, it, he tried, Jude Law has had just the most unusual career, and I'm still not quite sure what to make of it. Um, he's he's go, trying to go into a character direction here, you know. He's he's trying to get away from the guy that he usually plays, which is that that slick, sophisticated kind of somewhat fay, a little bit sarcastic British dude. 
And uh, he's been doing that for a while. The one time he veered away from that was with that part that he did in uh, Eastwood's uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, which was horrendous. That, like, bow-legged thing that he did. I don't even remember that movie. Oh, my gosh. What a dreadful movie that was. And he was so bad in it. Anyway, so he's, he's trying to do a little character thing again here. And he's this uh, safe cracker with these lamb chop uh, sideburns and receding hairline. And... Um, He's just spent a long time in prison, and he comes out, and he wants to, uh, you know, well, anyway, there's a whole bit with his, his you know, he's got this daughter that's, uh, that doesn't want to talk to him, and he's, he's trying to get his life back together again, and, of course, they pull him back in, and things transpire, yada, yada, et cetera, and so forth. Um, as a story, I don't find it all that terribly compelling. I find his, his performance interesting. I'm still not sure if I like it or not. Um, it is certainly, it doesn't bore you. So, I mean, if you're a Jude Law fan, you'll probably enjoy it a little bit more, because, but he does kind of chew the scenery a lot, and I'm still undecided as to whether or not I actually like the performance. I think at a certain point, I may come around and like it in the same way that I like Al Pacino and Scarface, but I'm still not sure. So anyway, a bunch, bunch of uh, featurettes here. It's uh, on Blu-ray, and you also get an ultraviolet copy. You do. You do. Do you, do you get an ultraviolet copy of uh, Tyler Perry's The Single Moms Club? I would shoot myself first. <laughs> yeah, this thing's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tyler Perry, uh, you've got to respect him as a businessman any more, uh, so much more than you like him as a filmmaker because yeah. he's just terrible. I know. He really is. But the guy's got a niche and he exploits it and he's incredibly wealthy and got to love him for it. Yep. Uh, but Single Moms Club to me is one of his worst. It's, um, it is just so melodramatic. It's just ridiculously melodramatic. It's just all about stereotypes and, and cliches about being single, and it's all about like girl power, camaraderie, and it's just it's just terrible. Um, this one stars uh, Neil Long, Amy Smart, Coco Brown, Terry Crews. Uh, Terry Crews is hilarious. That, that guy's funny. Um, I don't even know who he is. Terry Crews. Oh, you sure you do? Do I? It, uh, oh, Cruz is C R E W S. Correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now I know. Okay. No, he's funny. I was thinking like Tom Cruise. Yeah, but yeah. Terry Cruz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom Cruise, okay. not so funny. Okay. Anyway, very melodramatic, and uh, there's not really many recognizable characters in the movie, more mm-hmm. than they are just sort of archetypes. Sure. Although Nia Long, I don't know how old Nia Long is, but I have to say, delicious. She's long. And she's Nia. Yeah. Anyway, this is a piece of crap. Okay. Um, the Face of Love is an interesting film because The Face of Love stars uh, two people who don't really do enough movies. Um, it's a great cast. It's a totally great cast. It's um, Annette Bening, Ed Harris, and uh, Rob Williams. I heard this was really sweet. It's very sweet. It's thoughtfully directed. It, uh, the stars are great. They hold the whole thing together. Good performances. Uh, Benning plays a, uh, she plays his widow, and she meets this guy who totally looks just like her late husband. It sounds like it could be a little crazy, but um, it's a good little movie. It's, it's uh, kind of like Tyler Perry. It's a little bit melodramatic, but still, there's a lot of touching stuff in here. So Robin Williams is good. Yeah. That's a good thing, because I'm going to rip on him in a moment. Oh, okay. Well, I'm just saying, it's a good thing that we actually have something that he's good in this week, because the other one is not. Anyway, this, this movie went nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. IFC has it. Uh, but if you want to check out three good performers having a grand old time in their like, you know, late middle age... God knows we're glad there's a script there's a script out there that, that they can actually that's actually for them and yeah. not for not for like Chris Evans so if you want to see three old pros Annette Benning, Ed Harris and Rod Williams do their thing The Face of Love you do a lot worse sweet alright uh, we got a movie Wet Behind the Ears which is this uh, it's, a, it's a fun quirky little uh, independent film that I did not expect to particularly like uh, written and directed by Sloane Copeland who's got quite a career uh, going there um, this is a there have been a number of these little independent films lately about um, people who have to move back home and they're having midlife crises and they're living with their parents again how do I get my life on track and most of them are absolutely horrendous and this one uh, actually works and it works because it takes some very very interesting twists uh, it's about this girl she you know uh, wants to like you know get her career and her life going but she's just out of school she can't do it so she winds up um uh, become working in an ice cream store, and um, anyway, it 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 then there's a whole kind of a strange uh, there there's some very very strange twists that happen here, and it becomes kind of a caper film, uh, but not quite. It's it's sort of like this weird postgraduate coming of age caper comedy. 
That's probably the best way to put it. Anyway, uh, it's a sharp little film, and it's very nicely put together, and it's quirky, and it's original, and uh, it's, it's made the rounds of the festivals, did not make it out into theaters. So it's worth finding if you have a chance. Wet behind the ears. Definitely check it out. Nobody, no names in it, really, uh, but um, it's a sharp little movie. And then we also have The Angriest Man in Brooklyn, which is out on uh, Blu-ray and Ultraviolet. And, uh, man, this is just, I don't... I, I really don't know what went wrong with this. This is this is an agonizing film to watch, and it's especially agonizing when you realize this was directed by Phil Alden Robinson, and you go, "Oh my god!" When was the last time he directed a movie, like well, Sneakers or something? He did. He did one thing since Sneakers. He did uh, one of the uh, the. Was the um, Star Wars? No, no, no. One of the uh, the, the the wasn't it the, the Ben Affleck deal? Oh, um, clear and present danger. Right. Yeah, one of those. Yeah, it was one of those. Yeah, so anyway, uh, but, the, you know, it's like Phil Alden Robinson, right? Field of Dreams, Sneakers, and uh, one of those Clancy movies, and then he just vanishes again. I mean, he goes through these long stretches. He goes into, I don't know, he's on vacation or in depression. Who knows? In detox. But anyway, he goes away for years and years and years. And you're thinking, when are you going to come out with something like Field of Dreams again? Like, when are you going to do one of those, something cool and hip? And, and he comes out with The Angriest Man in Brooklyn, and I'm like, well, are you kidding me? What the hell? Here's the, here's the deal. Robin Williams is literally the angriest man in Brooklyn. Because in the first scene of the movie, you see him when he's got his family and he's so happy. He's so happy. He's blissfully happy. Cut to, he's in traffic and he's now like the angriest man in Brooklyn. Uh, Robin Williams overacting to, to, as he is apt to do when a director cannot rein him in. And it's like, dude, what is your problem? Like, back up. And he winds up going to, he sees a doctor who is played by Mila Kunis. How's that for casting against type? And she's having a bad day, so she tells him he's only got like a day to live, and he takes it seriously, and he flips out, and he has to go and try to put his life together, and she has to run around to try to convince him that uh, he's not going to die. It's terrible. It really doesn't work. Um, Melissa Leo shows up for no apparent good reason. Peter Dinklage plays Robin Williams' brother. I don't know why that makes sense. Uh, anyway, it, 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 nothing in this movie works. It's just so, so unfortunate, and it's just so misbegotten. It's just a pity, and Robin Williams is terrible. He's just terrible, and I don't know why Phil, Ro Phil Alden Robinson, after all these years away, would say to himself, boy, there's a movie I think I'd really like to, to try to make my comeback with. Uh, Wade, let me tell you something. Speaking yeah. of comeback, yeah. well, not really, but uh, Jonathan Glazer has only directed a couple films but they're both very promising. One, it was uh, Sexy Beast, which is hilarious. Oh, Sexy Beast is so good. And then uh, Birth, which had a bit of a troubled birth over at New Line, but yeah. uh, I still liked it. Um, his latest is Under the Skin. This was the um, very abstract Scarlett Johansson starring film, uh, mm -hmm. which is a very much kind of the woman who fell to earth in a sense. Um, this is based on a novel that... I'm under the impression gave you a lot more in terms of who this main character is, but mm. Scarlett Johansson plays a uh, an alien yeah. who comes to Earth and uh, tries to uh, seduce guys into her van. Ah, I see. Now, what she's going to do with them in the van is now what you think. She's going to eat them, I would presume, but not in the way men like to be eaten by Scarlett <laughs> Johansson. Uh you know, this is the type of film where you've got to be really into Glazer's images because they're always very striking and very original, and he does it here again. Uh, it really depends on your tolerance for abstract filmmaking. All right. I liked it because I am a bit of a Glazer apologist, and I want to see him make movies. But uh, I can see where people would kind of be like, yeah, this is a little too like, oh, look at me being uh, unconventional and all existential. So it's just very slow moving, uh, uh, but again, this might not be a satisfying experience for you, other than to say, oh look, I saw Scarlett Johansson kind of naked. Awesome. Under the skin. Nice. Very good. Well, The Pretty One, I am a big fan of Zoe Kazan, by the way. Uh, not just because I love her family and I think her parents and, and her granddad were, are all just wicked awesome, but I just really, really like her. I think she's enormously talented as an actress and a writer. Uh, and uh, the pretty one is uh, is a is a sharp little movie because she basically plays twins in it. She's a, she's essentially a woman who um, who assumes the identity of her identical twin after people kind of make that can make that mistake themselves, and it becomes a journey of discovery, one of those proverbial journeys of discovery for her. But uh, what a sharp little movie. Uh, Ron Livingston, it, probably the best thing that he's done since Office Space. I wish this was out on Blu-ray. It's not, unfortunately. It's only on DVD. 
should be on Blu-ray because it's also really, really well shot. And uh, I, uh, I just, I, I hope this movie kind of uh, finds an audience because it didn't find one uh, when it was in theatrical release. Anyway, uh, Jeannet Lamarck is the, uh, the writer-director. And uh, this movie really should, uh, it, 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 go find it. It's, it's fun. You'll appreciate it. The Pretty One with Zoe Kazan, Jake Johnston, and Ron Livingston. And uh, we're slowly moving down to uh, the, uh, the, the, big, the big one this week, Mark. The big one. The big new film. But I want to make mention of uh, Sex Tape. Oh, no, no, no. Not the one that's bombing in theaters. No, no, no. no. There's a different one? There's yeah. a different one. Yeah. There's yeah. a different one? There's this one. But that's SX Tape. That's right. SX underscore tape. Yeah. Still pronounce it the same way. Sex Tape. Uh, boy, I got to tell you, I don't know what it is with, with uh, Bernard Rose. I just cannot figure him out. Um, Bernard Rose has had the most fascinating career trajectory, and I, and I wish he'd kind of just figure out where he wants to go. He started with Candyman, which I thought was crap, and I'm like, ah, oh, you're another one of these horror hacks. And then he does Immortal Beloved, and you're like, oh my gosh, you, you've got like a, a soul. You want to make real movies, like period films and, and, uh, and biopics. And even though Immortal Beloved is a little flawed, you know, it's basically Citizen Kane with Beethoven swapped in for Kane. It's Citizen Beethoven. But it, it, it showed something. And then he did Anna Karenina, and it was flawed, as well, you know, with Sophie Marceau, but he, he's aiming for something, and since then he's kind of been fumbling around, trying to find himself again, and, and this is back to kind of the horror thing, and uh, I don't know, it's, uh, you know, the way, they, the way they're pushing this is from the, uh, the executive producer of Paranormal Activity, the producer of Insidious, and the, and the director of Candyman, as though any of that really is, has anything to do with this movie. Uh, I, I don't I don't know. It just uh, the whole the whole angle here is it, it, it just it doesn't work. It's it just doesn't work. Anyway, um, it's so you did know, you like it, Wade? No, it's just a, it's a, it's a it's kind of a I don't know. It's you know it, it wants to sort of be one of those paranormal activity. Um, uh, wreck type horror films that, that gets inside the whole first person video thing you know it's, there's a little bit of that in the ring and there's a little bit I mean that's the, all of these movies sort of are trying to find the horror in our new voyeuristic environment you know the, hor- the horror of being able to see things and record things and witness things and have it sort of live perp- in, in perpetuity but I, it, none of them really work very well and this one uh, is just convoluted and it's really unfortunate and I wish you'd go back to making period films uh, Wait, speaking of period films Yes uh, Cesar Chavez now there's uh, uh, there's never been a definitive movie by Cesar Chavez and uh, unfortunately this one doesn't work because it wants to be the definitive movie by Cesar Chavez oh, and just stop that and just make a movie uh, Michael Pena who's had a Terrific career as a um, mm-hmm. supporting actor, including a, probably he was, he was at his best in the Oliver Stone uh, uh, 9-11 film. Sure. World Trade Center. Yeah. Terrific yeah, in that. Terrific. Here he plays uh, Cesar Chavez, of course. He's the... Uh, it's good casting. I'll say that. Yeah. But you know, here's the thing, though. He's a... Uh, you know, Pena, he, 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 I like him. I, he's got this sort of cherubic face, and, and I don't see a lot of, like, real just get down and dirty passion in that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the problem with Cesar Chavez. It's very unobjectionable, and it's very nicely made, and the performances are very nice. But in the end, I feel like I'd rather just like go just Wikipedia Cesar Chavez and like watch this movie. Um, so I would pass on Cesar Chavez, an inspiring man, a great, an amazing life, uh, not a great film. Ah, well. Speaking of which, we have Rio 2. Now, Rio 2 is... Um, there was a Rio 2? There's a Rio 2. When did that come out? Because... <laughs> You know, look, was I changing diapers? What the hell? See, what I think they should do is they should just name every movie that comes out mm-hmm. two. Sure. Like, because right now, <laughs> studios would rather just green light a sequel to a movie that didn't do very well yeah. than green light an original film. Sure. So why not just make every movie, just put a two at the end? Okay. Make people think that, oh, it must be the sequel to something. Well, if it's a sequel, that means the original must be good. I'll have to see the sequel. Because really, it's all just a big crapshoot of just sequels now. So Rio 2 is uh, more craziness with uh, the stupid birds from... This thing is terrible. It's just such animated product. That's the problem. Uh, The voice cast is uh, completely fine. Anne Hathaway, Jesse Eisenberg, uh, Christian Chenoweth. uh, Bruno Mars, who I don't understand. And I guess I'm just... um, 
old or something because I don't get the whole Bruno Mars thing. Uh, he's in it too. So there you go. It's a Rio 2, a bunch of birds. They go squawk, squawk, and they sing songs. Okay. So Road to Paloma. Uh, this thing came out in theaters literally about a week ago, and it's, uh, it's now on Blu-ray, which tells you a lot. This is an Anchor Bay release. Uh, originally produced uh, through a through Stars and uh, WWE Studios. Now, all the stuff that WWE releases and, and produces, it has some kind of a big macho, you know, dude, hardcore, testosterone fueled concept to it. Uh, this is directed and stars, directed by and stars Jason Momoa. Now, uh, Jason Momoa, I guess, is as I've heard, as I understand now, isn't this the thing? That he is rumored to be playing Aquaman in Batman versus yes. Superman. Now, and now, when it, when they said Batman versus Superman, oh, okay, I get it. it's going to have Batman Superman. Oh, and you know this uh, Israeli actress is going to play Wonder Woman, and I'm like, all right, sure, you know why not throw Wonder Woman in there? Sure, I, I guess you're trying to you know do the opposite of the 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 uh, Avengers thing rather than have the individual movies at first. You're going to lump them all into this one and then go into the individual movies. Interesting. It's re- the reverse of the Marvel strategy. Okay, I can dig that. And then we're like, oh, and Jason Momoa is going to be Aquaman. I'm like, okay, now nah, it's getting ridiculous. How many how many superheroes are you going to pack into Superman versus Batman? Uh, and, well, supposedly Wonder Woman's part is very very small. Yeah, well, I'm sure his is as well. But I'm um, you know is is John Johns the man from Mars going to show up in this too? Is is, so. is a new Green Lantern going to pop in? I is, hope so. Is Spectre going to show up? And what, I hope what, so. Who's 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 going to be? Who's going to be Hawkman? Is Hawkman? Is some guy going to sprout wings and start flying around? I mean, I hope so. Yeah, I'm sure. So anyway, is, is Kazoo going to show uh. up in this? Wouldn't that be sweet? Wouldn't that be great if Kazoo showed up in the Justice League? And people would go, wait a minute, Kazoo was part of the Flintstone. It's not the Justice and League. George no. Jetson shows up. How does that happen? Anyway, Rhoda Paloma. So Momoa, who's who's got a big career going, right? You know, uh, Game of Thrones, Conan the, Barbar- the Conan the Barbarian, and now he's going to be Aquaman, apparently. Um, anyway, so he uh, he basically plays this uh, Native American dude who uh, avenges his mom's murder and goes on kind of a, an easy rider type road trip on the bike, and uh, you know. All kinds of crap transpires that doesn't really hang together, but it's got that grit and that feel, and he's charismatic. I, I don't deny it. Uh, I don't know if he's going to make a great Aquaman, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, wait, uh, there was a whole lot of talk about that awkward moment because yes. uh, it has stars all sorts of uh, exciting new young talent, including Zac Efron, mm. who was, who's uh, you know in various stages of undress in this sure. movie. And a Miles, Miles Teller, who was like this it kid who I just don't get and I don't understand and I don't know what he's been in and I don't even think he's that great. But Miles, Miles Teller is like the new I it know. Kid. He's, he's the new guy. Yeah, I know. Now, Michael Jordan, Michael B. Jordan, I like him. Sure. Uh, he's going to star in the Fantastic Four movie, so he's already selling out. Didn't take him that long. Yeah. Uh, but I do like him. He's, he's cool. And uh, Imogen Pooch is also in this. This is one of those uh, movies where, uh, you know, the guys uh, are, you know, they're all like these hip, you know, 20-something guys and... And they want to want to be single forever and uh, bros before hoes. And then uh, this uh, beautiful girl enters their life, and uh, they just can't be single anymore. Not when the girl that hot shows up. And uh, this thing is just terrible. You know, it's just uh, it's very obsessed with uh, the male uh, uh, penis part. Way I don't know why that is. No, I don't either. You know what it is? It tries to be like kind of raucous, like a Hangover movie, and then it tries to be kind of like deep and telling about relationships today. And it's really not smart enough for that. And, uh, you know, so it tries to be a romantic comedy, but it tries to be a little more serious. And I just think that this thing is just doesn't really, it winds up straddling the line and it becomes sort of neither. So, um, and it's also not funny. So ultimately, I'll put up with any of it if I'm laughing. Mm. And in the end, it's just not funny. So I would pass on um, th- that awkward moment unless you really want to see Zac Efron with no clothes on. Yeah, not really. And I do. I enjoy that part of it. So here's the thing. Uh, this was a big deal. Noah. We're going to talk about Noah now. We're going to, this is our, we're going to wrap out our, our new film coverage of the week with Noah. Um, here's the thing about Noah. I, previously, the only big screen Noah of note was John Huston in The Bible, which, of course, was a John Huston-directed film. Remember, John Huston played Noah in that film. He's, in, he's the typical Noah, old guy with the white beard, two by two. And then it rains, and there's an ark, and there's a whole thing. <laughs> he, runs around going, he runs around muttering two by two. <laughs> Whatever. So, so um, that's typically the Noah that most people know, and that's not the Noah that uh, Darren Aronofsky wanted to portray. Darren Aronofsky, of course, is a secular Jew, but has a re- very religious Jewish background, as anyone would know if they saw Pi, his first film, which has a very, very kind of bizarre, 
you know, religious subtext to it, where there are these, uh, you know, this like like underground of uh, Kabbalah scholars who are trying to figure out the name of God, and it's a whole weird thing in Pi. Anyway, so I expected a somewhat intellectual and avant-garde approach to the Bible story in the movie, and what I got was a very very weird fusion of um, kind of. It's like like present-day eco-speak and global warming cautionary tale combined with something that looks vaguely biblical and a guy named Noah who doesn't really resemble anybody in the Bible named Noah and uh, an ark that I guess is theoretically, you know, carrying two of every animal. But it, it, for the most part, it felt like kind of a part action film, part art film, not very biblical, quasi-religious, somewhat new-agey eco-mush. Uh, you know what? You know what I liked about it is that, although it is a little action, it, it's a little too action filmy during the flood part, and it's a little too melodramatic at the end. But I like the fact that I kind of, and again, this doesn't make it a good film, but it's, it was interesting to watch. You feel like Aronofsky is trying to wrestle this story to the ground. He is. Uh, I just don't know. I mean, look, the story, the story of Noah in in the Bible. It's like, it's like 10 pages or something, whatever it's not, it is. It's not a, you, you can read it in four minutes. You, can, you literally read it out loud in about four minutes. It's just, it's just not, it's not, it's maybe three pages. It's not much. Well, that's why it's not fair to criticize it for being inaccurate to the biblical version. Well, and which it, well, you know, that was the other thing, too, is that he fought with the studio, Paramount, over the cut because they wanted something that would cater more to faith-based audiences, and he wanted something that was more his sort of very revisionist vision. And then in the end, they had to sort of bend over backwards and do a they, and like put these disclaimers on it. You know, this is inspired by the biblical account. Don't get you know, it, it's not exactly. I mean, it, it just. Well, first of all, you've hired Darren Aronofsky to direct this film. What do you expect? And well, second of all, you know what? It, 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 it's funny. It actually insults faith-based people, but I think a lot of them deserve to be insulted. It's like, can they really? Not process the idea that this story may not be exactly as they envisioned. If they, if they want something that's biblically accurate and completely faithful to the biblical story, they are. It's basically going to be a commercial. It's 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 going to be like four minutes long. Yeah, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a short film. Here's a four. It's four minutes. I mean, it, it, anyway. So anyway, it's not unsuccessful. It's not successful. It's just kind of a weird hybrid, and I don't really know quite who he made it for, but you know, it's certainly worth talking about. I guess it's worth seeing. And uh, you get ultraviolet on it, too. So that's, uh, that's a bonus. And also, if you're a member of the press, you get this. Oh, yes. They sent it to us in this pine box, which I assume is supposed to look like a, an ark. It looks but like it, a coffin. It, it actually looks like a coffin. It looks like a coffin from the Wild West. And I'm, I, I, I think that might be some kind of a Freudian slip or something. Anyway. So, all right. Um, wait, 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 here's the thing. Yes. We don't have a million years left in the show, not. Wade. So instead of spending five minutes okay. talking about a movie no one cares about, yeah. how about some Criterion, some classic films? Let's do it. Okay, I'm going to blow through this. Uh, we got we got a couple of amazing Criterions here. Let me just do a little bit quickie on the foreign end of things. Uh, the original Insomnia uh, by Eric Skjöldbjerg uh, is now out uh, from 1997 on a Blu-ray Criterion. It is way better, I have to say. It is way better than the uh, Christopher Nolan remake. Which I liked a lot. Which, which is fine. Really? It's yeah, one of Al Pacino's okay. last actual performances. Yeah, but if you compare him to Stellan Skarsgård, Skarsgård is so much better. He's so much better in this. It is, it is really a better film. It is a much better film. I mean, Nolan's film relies on this very heavily, and it's in Alaska as opposed to, you know, the, uh, the, the northern, northern, northern most part of Norway, but whatever. Anyway, uh, very sharp film taken from a new 4K uh, restoration, and uh, it's got a conversation between uh, Skarsgård and Skjöldberg. As well as a couple of short films that Skjöldberg did in uh, the early 90s. And uh, it's pretty great. So uh, definitely check that out. That's a dual format, by the way. Blu-ray and DVD. Probably one of the last that we're going to be getting out of uh, Criterion before they go back to just doing Blu-rays and DVDs separately. And then uh, I cannot rave enough about the essential Jacques Demy. This is going to cost you a pretty penny to pick up. So get it on sale if you possibly can. Jacques Demy, one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Uh, this is a dual format edition, six Blu-rays and seven DVDs of some of the most wonderful movies you will ever see. It is worth getting alone just for the Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Umbrellas of Cherbourg, I consider one of the five best directed movies in history. In history. In history. Incredible film, magnificent, amazing music, fantastic songs, um, and its semi-sequel, The Young Girls of Rochefort, uh, sometimes known as The Young Women of Rochefort, which, um, did I ever tell you that when I... Um, 
sat down with Gilbert de Goldschmidt, the producer of The Young Girls of Rushford, and I was trying to, to in, in Paris, in his offices. Oh, you, you, tell tell me that, that you tell me that every Christmas. No, no, because I, long story, I, I, uh, I heavily, heavily hit up a whole bunch of old classic French producers for a trip to Paris. I guess it was on my way to Cannes in 93, maybe. Um, 93, I think it was 93, and it might have been 92. Anyway, 20-some-odd years ago. And uh, like an idiot, I'm like, oh, I'm going to convince them to sit down and meet with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pitch them projects and things. Anyway, so uh, I, the only guy who had, well, there were two who got back to me. Uh, but Gilbert de Goldschmidt, the producer of uh, Umbrellas of Cherbourg and Young Women of Rushford, was one of them. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm in, I'm in. Went to his office, and we sat down in a nice little meeting room, and he was really sweet. I mean, you know, clearly realized that I was just a dumb American, but he figured, why not? I'll humor this kid. And it was great, and told me some wonderful stories. They shot the film in two languages. Did you know that? They shot it in English and in French. What? And cut it in both languages. What? Yes, indeed. Fla. Mm-hmm. Glove. Lots of interesting stuff there, which I will not get into because the extras here cover a lot of that stuff, and there are gobs and gobs and gobs of them. The other movies here, Donkey Skin, uh, Une Chambre en Ville from 1982, and uh, Lola and Bay of Angels. And Lola and Bay of Angels are both unbelievably fantastic as well. Uh, Une Chambre en Ville is, um, is you know, less extraordinary. Uh, Donkey Skin is pretty great. So... Um, Anyway, this is, uh, this is just fantastic stuff. This is just absolutely fantastic stuff. So, uh, you know, if you are a Jacques Demy fan, uh, do yourself a favor and uh, indulge. This is just absolutely beautiful. Everything about this is wonderful. Wonderful set. And uh, then real quickly, we also have the uh, new uh, Kore Eda Hirokazu film that was a jury, uh, pro- jury prize winner at Cannes, Like Father, Like Son, which is a, a lovely, lovely movie. That is out from uh, MPI. Um, you really, really want to check this out. This is uh, one of the sweetest films that you could possibly see about uh, parenting. Uh, very, very timely is the movie Bethlehem. And uh, unfortunately timely in a, in a rather bad way, given everything that's going on in, uh, in the Middle East once again. But um, as, a, as a sort of drama about the tensions between... Uh, Israel and, uh, and Palestine, this is really worth seeing. I know other movies have been made that tell this story, but there's, um, this is about an Israeli Secret Service agent and a Palestinian informer. And um, it is very interesting, and especially given what's going on, it just forces you to look at things in a whole new light. So that is a good film to check out. And then there's also um, Love in the City, La More in Chita from Raro Video, which is distributed now by uh, Kino. This is a uh, Michelangelo Antonioni, Federico Fellini, Alberto Latuada, Carlo Lizani, Francesco Maselli, Dino Risi, and Cesare Zavattini uh, collaboration. And I know you're thinking, what does that mean? It's, uh, it's a whole bunch of um, uh, individual little films all pieced together, and it is, uh, it is quite wonderful. And it's called Love in the City. And it's, uh, you know, it's a kind of an omnibus thing. It's, uh, it's an ensemble thing. It's a you know, whatever you want to call it. But it's a lovely, lovely film. And, of course, the, uh, the one that I like the most is, of course, the Antonioni one, which is Attempted Suicide. Uh, all of these made in 1953 and then, you know, put together, uh, I guess, afterwards. But it's, uh, it's, it's pretty great. So if you love uh, Italian movies of that particular era, you will, you will totally vibe to it. Now, wait, you know what's coming out uh, via Criterion in uh, October? Hmm. Uh, well, first of all, uh, well, actually, there's three things. Yes. One is La Dolce Vita, Blu-ray, finally, Criterion, yep. knock out of the park. Uh, one of my favorite documentaries, F for Fake, the Orson yep. Welles. That's coming out in October. Also, Wade, yes. save your shekels, because uh, the complete Jacques Tati. Oh. This is everything. Totally. Jour de Fête, Monsieur uh, Hulot's Holiday, Mon awesome. Oncle, Playtime, one of my all-time favorite movies, Traffic, and Parade. Awesome. Come on now. Sweet. Get it going. Yeah. I'm Seriously. all about it. I'm down. I'm totally that's down October. October cannot come fast enough. All right. So, uh, all right, Mark, I'm gonna, we're, let, let's burn through some of the... Uh, burn these, through, burn bur- through, burn through. Burn through some classic ones. Um, I'm going to do the, uh, the Kino Classics line because we have a whole new line from Kino. And uh, it's, I, I'm not sure how they're licensing these things, but they're sort of following the model of, uh, of you know, Olive and Twilight, who we have some other stuff from. 
we can get to it in time. And um, they're they're snatching some great titles that apparently you know they've never been on Blu-ray, and Kino is kicking them out there. And I got three of them right here that I want to make a make a recommendation of right out of the gate. Uh, one is uh, Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, uh, which Billy is Wilder. a totally underrated Billy Wilder film. And I got another underrated Billy Wilder film here in a second. Uh, a totally underrated Billy Wilder film with a great score by Nicholas Rosa from 1970. You know, right at the end of Billy Wilder's career. Um, but really, just a fantastic you know Sherlock Holmes story. I mean, it's it gets maligned, but if you watch this, you're like, well, that's actually really really good. I mean, in hindsight. It's, it's a lot of fun. And he wrote it with uh, uh, Izzy Diamond, you know, his co-writer on The Apartment, and uh, it's a lot of fun. It really is. Uh, nice little, not quite revisionist, but a little bit revisionist. And then we also have Billy Wilder's uh, Witness for the Prosecution with Tyrone Power, Marlene Dietrich, and Charles Lawton, which is another fantastic film that shows you the incredible breadth of Billy Wilder's skills. That was made in 1957. And... Uh, it's maybe one of the best courtroom dramas I think I've ever seen. I don't like courtroom dramas oh, in principle, but this is really a this is just great, and it has this fantastic discussion on the film uh, between Billy Wilder and Volker Schlondorf uh, in German, by the way. You know, because Wilder, of course, is German. We often forget. Oh yeah, that's why he has a German accent because that's his native language. But uh, pretty great, pretty great. Um, you know, doesn't doesn't get much better. And it was based on a play, by the way. And then uh, Sabata with Lee Van Cleef and William Berger. Um, uh, you know, Lee Van Cleef is one of those guys who really only did one character, but he did it so well. He just did it so well. He's just he that, was an escape from New York. He's just that dude. He's just that hard, tough, cigar-chomping, gun-toting, hard-as-nails, hard-ass dude. And he's, he's, he's you know, like a Lee Marvin type. Yeah, you know, he's, he's born to brawl. He's just born to brawl. Whether he's a military guy or in a western, he's just one of those guys. Anyway, uh, this is a western. And uh, he basically plays a very kind of, um, you know, Wyatt Earpy type character. And he's just fantastic. And, uh, you know, it's, it's got kind of a, it's got that um, uh, good, the bad, and the... Uh, what is it? Star good, Wars? Good, and the bad, and the... Uh, the, the good, the bad, and the Star Wars? Good, the bad, and the friend. friend uh, that's the one. It's got that kind of vibe to it. It's good stuff. That's on Blu-ray, too. All right, tell us about the, the Mill Creek stuff. Oh, watch how fast I do this, Wade. Okay. On uh, Blu-ray's Flatliners. Uh, Flatliners uh, was directed by Joel Schumacher back before he went totally campy, and uh, this is kind of a, a movie of its time. It's from the, uh, it's, you know, it's kind of from the '80s, and it's, uh, I think it was actually 1990, which technically is the '80s. Um, got a good cast: Kiefer Sutherland, Julia Roberts, and Kevin Bacon. They play a bunch of college students or medical students who, uh, who kill themselves so that they can uh, describe what it feels like. Of course, they're not really dead. Uh, so again, it's like um, it's a little like the Lost Boys, not like the Lost Boys, but it's got that kind of like, you know, a little bit B movie ish, but uh, kind of creepy, kind of scary feel to it. So Flatliners it was popular for the time. Uh, does it hold up? Yeah, a little bit. It's kind of cute. Anaconda had its moment. This is Jennifer Lopez, Ice Cube, and John Voight and Eric Stoltz. This is about an, an enormous anaconda. That's so, the name. You know, I, I actually made For mention of this. For a movie, this is pretty good. I got to tell you, I, I, I cited this as having the worst CGI of any movie in history on the radio the other day. And, it's, and I'd still stand by that. I yeah, think but it's you a, know what? It's, it's horrendous. It, it, it had its moment. Uh, it was popular for the time. It's got Jennifer Lopez looking very young. And it's kind of fun, actually. Okay. Uh, Donnie Brasco. Uh, this is a terrific film. Mike Newell directed this. This is Al Pacino and um, uh, Johnny Depp based on a true story. It's about uh, Johnny Depp. He's an FBI agent uh, posing as a, a jewel broker. And uh, it's very, you know, what, what I like about this film is that it is a rare opportunity to see Al Pacino play somebody who is like a low-level crime guy. He's not like Scarface or Godfather blowing people away. He's kind of this underling who's got, uh, he's, the FBI is on him, played by Johnny Depp. And I kind of like that in Pacino because, again, like we were saying before, he doesn't really do much like quote-unquote acting anymore. Yeah. But uh, Donnie Brasco is good stuff. Last Action Hero is uh, one of the one of the legendary, I love this movie. I love legendary this movie. bombs of the 90s. This is love it. by John McTiernan. Who's out of prison now. And, and, and good for him. Yep. And um, uh, like most legendary bombs, it was all based on the budget and not based on the quality of the film. Uh, and the film itself is not so bad. It's okay. Uh, also, Brian plays this uh, kid who loves Jack Slater movies. And uh, suddenly, out of nowhere, like uh, Purple Rose of Cairo, out comes Jack Slater, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, there you go. And uh, they have a little adventure together. 
again, the film is a little bit ponderous, and uh, you know, I wouldn't call John McTiernan a uh, like a lighthearted comedy type director. And this does have to have a bit of a light touch, even though he is a last action hero. So there's a little tone problem there, but still, I, I think it's not as bad as uh, people gave it credit for, which is not fair. Um, the Legend of Billie Jean is an interesting film starring a, a woman who had a brief moment in the 80s, uh, Helen Slater. And, I uh, love she, Helen Slater, and I love the theme song for this. The, you know the theme for this? is Benatar. Oh, Invincible? Oh, my gosh. It's the best song to listen to when you're on, like, mile seven of a seven mile run and you're going uphill and you just cannot make it and then Invincible comes on and you oh the adrenaline and the, and the, the endorphins just kick in it's unbelievable anyway it's been uh, there I'm just saying good job anyway co-stars uh, Christian Slater and uh, Peter Coyote and uh, yeah it's uh, Billie Jean plays this uh, she plays this young girl and uh, you know her sister's motor scooter is uh, stolen and so Billie Jean demands that it be fixed, and then there's a bunch of gunshots and a bunch of misunderstandings, and Billie Jean winds up on the run. And uh, again, this is another movie from the 80s that if you're, if you're from the 80s or 90s and you saw it, you remember it, is it worth watching ultimately? Meh, it's okay. Fantabulous. I like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I think that guy's charming. He's kind of the type of guy I would totally not hate because he's like a wrestler and who gives a crap about wrestling. Mm-hmm. But um, I like him. I don't like The Gridiron Gang. Which is kind of a straight-to-video thing he, that he did a couple of years ago. Um, actually, it was 2006. It was like eight years ago. Jay anyway, it's, uh, it's supposed to be an inspirational film about a bunch nowhere. of uh, teenage uh, kids are kind of delinquents and they're given a second chance playing football. This thing is very cliched. You can tell it's trying to be like you know super inspirational with like with like the big sweepy music and the triumphant kids. The tragedy of this film, yes, is that it was directed by Phil Juano. Oh. Now, what a, what Phil Juano. What a waste of a career that I was. Know. Phil Juano directed uh, one great film, the Sean Penn thing. Uh, you know, uh, the yeah, State, State the, of Grace. The, the, the State uh, of Grace. State yeah. of Grace. Yeah. The and Hell's then, Kitchen thing. And he also did the uh, U2 documentary, which is terrific. And then. Three O'Clock High was his first film, right out of USC. I think I think he may have been branded difficult. I don't know what the deal is. You know, but, he was. Um, you know, he was. <laughs> just a little bit of inside stuff. He was a. He was the big cheese at USC. When Matt was there and when Brian Singer was there. He and Brian Singer, same class, basically. Um, and uh, isn't it interesting how things have changed? Like, he literally came out and he was on fire. And Singer's making, you know, public access and it's not even getting the distribution. Matt made, you know, the pallbearer and then went away for a long time. It's like everybody from that particular class at USC sort of did, they all drifted around and Joanna was the dude. And then he's vanished and look who's making hot movies now. Everybody Singer, else. Brian and Matt. Yeah. Uh, a couple more things. Um, we have uh, Gamera Legacy Collection. These are 11 ga- uh, Gamera films from 1965 to 1999. Oh, my word. I think these are great. There if were I... 11 Gamera films? Oh, yeah. <laughs> more than that. Um, if you like the whole Gamera oh, wow. thing, uh, you know, because he does breathe fire. I've seen, I've seen a bunch of them, but I didn't realize there were a, 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 that many of them. That's... It's, it's awesome. If you like this stuff, go for it. Now, we only have the DVD. I don't know if this is on Blu-ray or not. No. Uh, if it's not there, on Blu-ray, there, are, there a are a lot that are on Blu-ray, but I don't, I don't know if any of these are. Finally, we have a, a World War I collection. Um, this is, I have to say, this is on DVD. Not Blu-ray. If it was on Blu-ray, I would say, you may want to get this. Two of them are on Blu-ray. Well, Wings is a brilliant, beautiful, yes. wonderful, excellent, and that's on Blu-ray. Blu-ray. It's in this collection. Sergeant York. Not on Blu-ray. Not on Should Blu-ray. be. Yes. Yeah. Gary Cooper, who was never my favorite, uh, won an Oscar for this uh, part. Mm-hmm. The Big Parade. Is on Blu-ray. Just came out. Is on Blu-ray. King Vidor. And uh, that's a silent film, 1925. Mm-hmm. And also, the... the my least favorite of the bunch is uh, the Dawn Patrol. Yeah, not that it's bad, but it's like whatever. It's all right. Um, so there you go. So it's called the World War One Collection. And again, Wings, classic, first uh, Best Picture winner. Uh, Gary Cooper wins an Oscar for Sergeant York. Big Parade, great silent film. Dawn Patrol. That's the throw-in. If this thing was on Blu-ray, I'd say get it. Otherwise, um, go ahead and just actually, you should already own Wings because it's so good. The other two, York and Parade, you can rent. Yeah. All right, so we've got a bunch of new Twilight Time movies as well, which I'm going to burn through because we are short on time, so we're going to wrap this show out with, uh, with Twilight Time. Uh, and uh, some, of these are, some of these are good, some of these are not so good. Of course, all of them come from uh, 
with you know amazing isolated score tracks on them, which is the whole point. You can get these exclusively at ScreenArchives.com, um, and uh, that's the only place you can get them. So here, let's start off. John Wayne in Brannigan uh, is otherwise known as John Wayne is Brannigan. This is a 1975 film when Wayne is on his way out, directed by Douglas Hickox. One of the lesser interesting, uh, not-so-hot Wayne efforts. He just, you know, he's still trying to be a, a tough dude, even though he's old. A little bit how, like how Harrison Ford was really pushing it at a certain point. Um, but you know what? I, I guess it, if, as a film of the era, what, if you're a Wayne fan, you'll, you'll vibe to it. Uh, Radio Days, all these fantastic Blu-rays, uh, really well done. Twilight Time does a beautiful job with all their Blu-rays. And Radio Days is one of my favorite Woody Allen films of all time. I think it's just wonderful. It's, it's less a sort of overt comedy or drama and more of a snapshot, a really nostalgic snapshot of a particular place in time. And it's wonderful. I think it's just absolutely delightful. This is from uh, 1987, right at the tail end of that Woody 80s period when it included things like Zelig and Broadway Danny Rose and everything. And this is, you know, a, a, a Purple Rose of Cairo. This is kind of the last film of that phase, of that period. You know, after oh, this, terrific. after this, he kind of, kind of went in a different direction. It's sort of like he got the whole nostalgic thing out of his system. And you kind of feel it, you know, gently being flushed in radio days. And, it, and what's great is it gives you a wonderful insight into how radio shows were done in particular. I mean, he recreates everything in the era just meticulously and beautifully. And it's a great cast. And Julie Kavner's in it. Marge uh, Simpson. That's right. Uh, odd little movie, Save Your Legs. Um, if you're, you know, an uh, 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 Australian cricket fan, I guess this is, uh, you'll, you'll really dig this. I, you know, I, I know a little bit about cricket. Uh, this is a relatively new movie from uh, 2012, and uh, Twilight Time picks up occasionally some really peculiar little things. And, I mean, it's funny... Uh, if you don't know anything about cricket, you'll miss a lot of this stuff. But it's uh, it's otherwise a a kind of a it's you know uh, it's like it's an Australian comedy. What do you want? Um, moving along real quickly, Man from Laramie, uh, not a great western by any means, but uh, it's it, you know it's Jimmy Stewart doing what he does when he does westerns, like John Wayne. It's uh, you know it's got a certain vibe. Nineteen uh, fifty. It's uh, kind of a typical Anthony Mann Western. Anthony Mann was better at uh, noirs, but his Westerns have, you know, a big widescreen flair to them. And they, you know, this is Cinemascope and Technicolor and big and wide and sprawling. And uh, it's, um, you know, it's, it's of the era and it's very much uh, of a piece. Not brilliant, not, not bad, but, uh, you know, it, it, again, Jimmy Stewart in a Western. There you go. Um, Violent Saturday, I actually am a big fan of. It's uh, a Richard Fleischer film, a uh, kind of a, a, an underrated noir, to be honest. This has an interesting uh, audio commentary on it with a couple of film historians, one of them who is Nick Redman. Uh, uh, it really kind of put it in its, um, uh, in its, uh, in its place quite nicely. Um, the, what I like about this is it's much closer to what noir films have become more recently. It's not typical of a noir film from uh, 1955, so uh, in that much, I appreciate it. It's got much more of a kind of a rural, bucolic quality to it. And some really great supporting uh, performances here from Richard Egan and Ernest Borgnine. Uh, Really a lot of fun. Oh, by the way, the movie that I saw today... Uh, Calvary, which I'll be talking about on Film Week on uh, on August 1st. Yes. Uh, Emmett Walsh is in it. Really? He's still alive. He is? I know. Isn't that amazing? I thought he died. He's only 79. Huh. Uh, did did he die? Yeah, didn't he? Who did was he? The, who was the g- You're thinking of that other Walsh dude. Yeah, I was thinking of the Walsh in um, in uh, Few Good Men. Yeah, yeah, no, this J- is. I was thinking of J T Walsh. J T Walsh. This is M Emmett Walsh. You know, M Emmett Walsh, the fat dude. Yeah. From like Raising Arizona, yeah. a million other movies. Yeah. Good good for him. I, was, I was like, I thought he died. Good for him. He doesn't look good. I mean, he looks like hell. He's one of those actors. Uh, all right, finishing up. Uh, Born Yesterday, the original Born Yesterday. A wonderful, wonderful screwball comedy. Fantastic. 1950, George Cooker uh, nails the Garson Kanan play in a way that makes you forget about the play. The movie is it. The movie is what everyone remembers. They don't remember the play anymore because Judy Holiday is so fantastic in this movie and Broderick Crawford is so wonderful. Uh, you get the original trailers and the isolated score. That's all you need. Judy Holiday is magnificent. Born Yesterday, don't miss it. Forget about the remake that they had with John Goodman and uh, Melanie Griffith. It was horrible. Um, another, another little interesting pickup, Resurrected. Uh, this is another uh, relatively recent film that um, 
you know, within the like past 15 years or so, I guess, that uh, Twilight Time picked up that is not necessarily one licensed from a studio. And uh, it is uh, kind of a, a, a it, it shows you Paul Greengrass's evolution as a director. Uh, this is Paul Greengrass just on the cusp, right? It's kind of a story that's tied to the Falklands War. David Thewlis, um, pretty good performance in a, in a pre-naked performance. Um, yeah, I, um, I guess it would have been about 20 years ago maybe that this was, uh, anyway. Oh, 1989. So even, even older than I thought, 89. Anyway, uh, check it out if, only if you're a Paul Greengrass uh, fan. And then the last three... Uh, the Mechanic, the original Charles Bronson film, still legendary. It, ate, it dates somewhat poorly, but Bronson is so cool, and Michael Winner is kind of so on his game here, which he often isn't, that it's worth watching. By the way, worth noting as well, and this also has the, uh, a commentary with Nick Redman on it, which is very good. An early Chardoff Winkler film. I'd forgotten that. Did you remember the, that? The maker, the producer of Rocky. Yeah, mechan- well, and the right stuff. I'd, the forgot, right stuff. I'd forgotten that they even did The Mechanic. I'd forgotten they were working back then. And then there's also The Train, which still holds up. The Train is a fantastic film. If you've never seen The Train, John Frankenheimer uh, at his very, very best. This is a 1964 thriller with Burt Lancaster that uh, absolutely kills it. Uh, one of the things about Frankenheimer, he knew how to turn the tension. He knew how to turn the screws on, uh, on suspense. And he does such a fantastic job of it here. Really one of the best uh, of its era. Still holds up. Just fantastic film. Really, really good. Beautiful Blu-ray. And then lastly, Heaven Knows Mr. Allison. Uh, a film which uh, really divides people. Uh, John Huston directed this, um, and it's not, you know, it's one of, it's, every John Huston film seems to have its detractors and its admirers for a lot of different reasons. Uh, this has a fantastic uh, performance from um, uh, Deborah Carr in it. Deborah Carr is just wonderful. Robert Mitchum, very much in his usual mode, you know, he's, he does the Robert Mitchum thing that he did at that time. Deborah Carr as, as a nun. Uh, is just uh, absolutely wonderful. Uh, 1957, really a, a fantastic South Pacific uh, World War II story set on an island that just, it's so allegorical and so so many really fascinating comments on humanity in general and, and uh, you know, war, conflict of war. It transcends the entire uh, theater in which the film takes place. So uh, really, really good. I think this is one of John Huston's very, very best from this period. Again, not a film that a lot of people like. As to whether or not it's, a, it's an anti-war film or a pro-war film, people get kind of caught up in that. So, anyway, those are the new Twilight Time releases. They are 3,000 copies each. There are only 3,000 copies out there. So, uh, if you want them, go get them. Don't delay. ScreenArchive.com. And, uh, Mark, uh, with that, I think we're done. Uh, I'm done. All right. See you next week. <laughs>